Hello, and welcome to Journey Church. Let's take out our Bibles and listen in. So I wanted to start off by sharing kind of a more somber story of uh, a few months ago, one of my good friends, Terry Fouché, this is pre-COVID, um, and we were actually together, and he was just somber, and he was just wiped out. And I, I was like, hey, how are you doing? What, what's going on, man? And he told me that he has this dear friend, his name, everyone calls him Busby. He's actually a very famous producer in the music world. He's written so many songs, you've heard his songs. Um, but he had been given about three weeks to live, Fast forward, he had about three weeks to live, but Terry had spent the last two days recording, just like I'm recording a sermon here, recording him as he's giving words, final words to his wife, final words to his two his individual kids, final words to his family of his desires, of his wishes, that they would continue to live, that he would thrive, and just his own parental advice, but also as a husband, releasing his wife to saying, pursue God, pursue life, don't hold on. He had words for his church. He had words for the music industry, all of his different people in relationships he's had. He had words for the funeral that people were going to be attending for him. And I can't help but think like, man, what would that be like if suddenly I knew I'm entering a moment where I have my final words to somebody? Maybe it's not my death. Maybe I just, I just know I'm never going to see you ever again. What do you say? I can't help but think there's going to be a time of deep reflection, right? If you're, you're looking back at all the things that you had done, all the different relationships, the times you've played, the times you've fought, the time, like, you think through that entire history, but then what comes out? What do you say? The Apostle Paul in Acts 19, he's in that very moment. That last week, Lucas preached an incredible sermon talking about what happened in the city of Ephesus. We tend to think of Ephesians, the book, but that's the book written to the city. And in Acts, I think it's 18 and 19, you really see all this amazing history that happens in the city. Where Paul lives there for three years. He's teaching, yes, but he's also working as a tent maker. And it describes amazing miracles that are performed where people are being healed left and right. And then some people try to copy Paul's ministry and then a demon beats them alive. And because of that, the demon's also proclaiming the name of Jesus with power. And so the city all of a sudden encounters a revival. They start burning idols. There becomes a revolt in the city, like a, a complete riot. Um, because this industry of just all the different trinkets and magical items and spells and things... That industry is overthrown. And so they decide, no, 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 we're going to riot because Jesus is doing something in this city. And so the riot breaks out. Paul has to leave. And then a few months he goes along. He goes into Greece and Macedonia. But here in our story, he comes back around. He can't even go into the city of Ephesus. But he meets him in this town just, just close to it called Miletus. And he calls the Ephesian elders, the leaders of his church, people who are most dear to him, probably some of the first people whom he's lived with, he's eaten dinner with, he's eaten lunch with, he's seen their kids grow together. And he's going to give them some final words. But before I get to that, I want to give you a grid 
to understand this passage. Sometimes you, te- you, you say the word of God and then you explain it. I'm gonna do some explaining up front so when we hear it, we're gonna understand it through that, kind of that lens. And so I'm gonna bring in a flip chart here. So I'm gonna mo- rearrange myself. I, I, I kind of planned this in advance. So let's see if it actually works. Hey, can you guys see it? All right, pretty good. Uh, good enough. All right. So what I want to show you is kind of a, a thing that really helped me in my view of how I, how I can see discipleship, but really what does it look like in our spiritual life? All the different components, because we can often just read Bible and think of all these things we have to do, but this is a kind of a, a good cohesive way to think of all these different relationships in our life and the spiritual component of them. And the way, an easy way of thinking about it is this triangle. So triangle has three different parts. And so you have the first part is that vertical relationship with God. We're going to call it up, the up part of the, um, the triangle. When you think about it, where our first calling is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Think about all the times that Jesus withdraws. Why? Because he wants to pray. Think about all the different ways that we spend in worship, in prayer, as we are studying and expanding our mind to try to understand who God is. It's this vertical relationship that we are called to first and foremost. But that's not it, right? We also have a relationship to the Christian community, our, our closest fr- family, our closest friends, and we're gonna call that the in, right? If there's an in and an out crowd, the in crowd are the people who are most close to you. And so I'm gonna put that right here. I'm trying to write it so you can see it. Hopefully that's big enough. Um, so the in is these relationships. Some of it is also yourself. That if you put yourself here where it's, am I, am I healthy right now? Am I spiritually doing the things I need to do physically, emotionally? But also it's that those closest relationships of, am I participating in Christian community? Do I have a spiritual family I'm a part of? And the last component here, I've already mentioned it, of there's an out, right? There is a mission. There we go. There is a mission and a purpose that God has given you, God has given me, God has given everyone when he says, go represent me, go be my ambassadors. And so when we think about a healthy spiritual life, more often than not, we tend to forget areas of this. That it's not just, oh, me and God, we're good. It's like, yeah, but do you have people you're going close to? Are you being vulnerable? Are you, are you opening yourself up to others? Or, oh, by the way, do you know that you're here for a reason? And it's not just to hang out with your Christian friends and to spend time in worship circles? No, there's an actual mission we have. But if we only live the mission, right? If we do any of these without the other, we end up very imbalanced. And really, I think it's almost unhealthy. Because think about it, if you have all in, like relationships and you have all out mission, but you have no connection with God, you are fake, you are hollow, and you are going to be burnt out. This reminds me of a lot of people who can work in churches, right? Where we, we are doing so much stuff for God, but not with God. Well, what happens if you're all about God and you just want to live out there in the world? You're just me and Jesus and I'm meeting my friend, I'm doing this stuff. Well, guess what? If you have no close relationships around you, you're vulnerable, but not in a good way. You're isolated, right? You're you're without a a pack. 
And if Satan is a lion roaming around to steal, kill, and destroy, he wants to separate you from the herd. And so you are vulnerable in a way that you are not called to be vulnerable. But in the same way, what happens if, and this is the most common one in my opinion, that if you have a relationship with God, you have, you're tight with other people, but there's no mission in your life, well, then you're just ineffective. You're like a secret agent, but you have no mission. So that means you're just living life. So I wanted to show this to you because as we read this passage, this is going to help you understand what Paul is talking about here. So without further ado, if you uh, have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 37. I'm going to try to rearrange this a little bit. There we go. Still in this frame. All right. Acts 20, verses 17 to 37. I'm going to read, talk about, read, talk about it, go back and forth here. So um, we're going to kind of be going verse by verse here through this section. Starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day when I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. So when Paul is approaching these final words, what I love is he doesn't have to think about everything he needs to say. He starts by saying, look back at my life. I don't have to say everything because I've lived everything amongst you. And in some ways you can argue, he talks about his out. I live with mission among you because of the way that I have lived. And he talks about it specifically of, he mentions three things. He says his humility, his, her, his heart, and his hardships, right? He says the humility where he chose to serve. Imagine he lived with humility. Right now, we have a world right now that is yelling with pride and arrogance and confidence. There's not a lot of humility to go around. But Paul says, you guys remember my life. I chose to serve. I chose to be meek. I chose to put myself with you in mind constantly. And he says, and you saw my heart, right? He served with tears. He was emotionally invested. He was weeping with them. And then he talks about his trials and his hardships. It's amazing how trials and hardships, they test us, right? It produces perseverance. It's what James chapter one talks about. But what ends up happening is it's kind of like it digs down and it exposes what's really inside of our heart. And here Paul is saying, you guys saw me in the, the hardest times. You saw me when I'm getting beaten. You saw me when I'm getting outcast. You saw me when... You know what's really inside of me. You know, it's funny. Mike Tyson says, you, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face, which is brilliant. Mike Tyson with one of the best quotes ever. But the reality is a lot of people claim that they love Jesus. Then when trials come, the first thing to go is their faith. The first thing to go is their affection. And so even though they're telling people about God, even maybe they're in my role where they're teaching and they're, they're a pastor, but when you look at their life, when they're under the heat, when they're under the microscope, what's happening is, oh, they're not running to God. They're not running to humility. They're not having a heart. They're, they're wilting. He talks about it's out with them. But then the next verse, verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you 
anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. He talks about how he established that community and the closest relationships. He said, I boldly taught anything that was profitable. I love it. It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. If it was beneficial, I talked to you about it. If it was helpful for you, you know, I, I lived it with you. I taught you. And I love it. This idea of like, there's a public space for the church. There's a private space in homes. It's all these different places. But he talks about, I lived an inn with you. And then the next thing he says, he was testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He shows them, guys, I told you the gospel. I told you about God himself, how you can have this relationship. The gospel is this good news that Jesus, he's not just a man. He's the king. He's the God king. He's the God man. And because of that, it's Jesus who unifies Jews and Greeks, right? It's only the gospel that can bring unity. Everything else in this world is going to divide you. We're going to talk about that more later on. But he says, here's the gospel I sent you. It brings the Jews and Greeks through repentance. See, the way the gospel goes out, it is free and it's for all people. But the way we enter into this kingdom that has a king is on our knees, repenting, saying, I'm wrong. I blew it. I recognize that what I've tried to do, although my intention may be good, I need help. I can't save myself, right? I repent. I recognize I'm going, I, I need to change. But then he says it's also through faith in Jesus. See, Paul's going to say this very thing later on. He writes a letter to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, for grace you have been saved through faith. Right? You didn't deserve this. You, you got undeserved favor. You have received grace. But you gave faith. You trusted God. And that's not your own doing. Right? You didn't, you didn't earn this. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. And so... Here's Paul, when his words to these, the Ephesians, who he loves so much, his first thing he says, guys, look at the life I lived among you. Remember my example. I lived with mission. I cultivated community. I showed you God, right? I, I did everything I could among you. Remember, right? If you can't, if you don't know what to do, remember my example. Later on, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And here he's saying, you know what? Follow me as I displayed Christ to you. Do what I did. But at verse 22, it makes a small change because he's no longer looking back. He starts to look to the future. And here he starts to look at his own future. As they've been together and he's remembering that time, there's parting ways. And he's going to first talk about his future. Then he's going to talk about their future. And in verse 22, it says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, right? He's saying, I'm going forward. I don't, I, it's uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies. Well, that's good. But to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Oh man. Every day I ask God, God, what do you want to show me? What do you teach me? Speak, Lord, I'm listening. I don't want to hear this though. 
He's like, I have no idea what the future holds. I just know God keeps telling me I'm going to be imprisoned and I'm going to get beaten. <laughs> I'm like, that's not what I want. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course of the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here he's saying, I know this is happening in my future. I know it's, I don't know what's going to happen. I know it's going to be tough, but guess what? I don't care because God has given me a purpose. And my only concern is, am I going to be able to tell every single person that God wants me to tell about him? Because there might be someone who couldn't hear. And so I got to keep running this race. And so I got to keep running the circuit city to city. I got to keep preaching. I got to keep building community. I got to keep living my mission. I, that's what I'm worried about. What happens if I stop? Verse 25. Then he starts to think back to his mission again with them. And now I behold, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone out proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again, right? You're not going to see me again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. Here's Paul saying to them, look guys, I left it all in the field, right? I gave 110%. I did my job well. This reminds me of his letter he writes to a church he planted between these visits, the church of Philippi. In Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And here he is looking at his future, not knowing. He's saying, guys, my only concern is that the things I did with you, I can keep doing. Because that's, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I have life. And I love this because in this moment, I think Paul mirrors and gives us the clearest picture of Jesus. Lest we think Paul is that special, he's actually copying Jesus. See, we don't want to imitate Paul, even though he's a great example. He wants us to imitate Jesus. And think about Jesus when in his ministry, he recognizes, I have to go to Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, the cross awaits me there. He knows it's going to be painful. And then Peter says, no, 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 Lord. And God's like, no, I have to go. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he is literally sweating blood. He knows that the pain is going to be excruciating. The word excruciating means excruci from the cross. That word was invented to describe crucifixion. That's how bad it was. And Jesus knows this is in his future. But he must finish his mission. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. The lights are turning off right now. And so here, Paul, once again, he points them to Jesus, saying, look at my life, look at my concern, look at my heart. I only want to be with my Lord. But while he's told them about his future, here's where the book gets really interesting. And he begins to talk about their future in verse 28. And I think these words are incredibly timely for us right now in 2020. 
He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So here he gathers the leaders, the elders of the church together, and he says, be careful. Now, it's easy for us to read this part of the Bible and think, oh, this is to church leaders. And the answer is yes, but we're all to aspire to the office of elder. We are all to be a person who is leading. And so I think these words are needed for all believers. And he tells them, he warns them. I think he actually knows something special that God has communicated to him. And he's saying, something bad is coming. Be careful. Pay attention. Pay careful attention. And what's fascinating is he doesn't tell them, be careful of this world. There's riots out there. Be careful of this world. They're going to try to entrap you and beat you. He says, here's what you have to be careful attention of. The mirror. Pay careful attention to yourself and the Christian community. Oh, by the way, it belongs to Jesus. It has been incredibly difficult to be a parent these last six months. Um, me and Courtney were reflecting that with maybe like two exceptions, we basically, one of us has been in charge of our kids for nonstop. There's been like no school, there's really not break, there's like, it, it's difficult. It can be easy for me if I'm not careful that my anger is the biggest threat to my family. It's not out there, it's here. See, as my kids are playing together and it starts nice, then it starts to get snippy and eventually they start yelling and they start fighting. If all of a sudden I use my strength that I can yell louder. In fact, in my house, I can be loudest if I want to be. The reality is my quick temper my anger, if I allow that to happen, I am the one that will destroy my family. It's not them, it's me. It's not out there, it's me. And here he's saying to the people, it's like, pay careful attention to yourself. Don't become so consumed with the world around you. Don't become so consumed with everything else. What happens first is you must look in the mirror. Secondly, he says, you need to look at the church, at the spiritual family around you. In verse 29, he says, I know, this is where I think he actually has a special word from the Lord, that after my departure, right, as soon as I'm gone, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, excuse me, among your own selves will arise men speaking Twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So here he's coming. He's saying, be careful attention to yourself, this community, because here's what's happening. Wolves are coming. Oh, but they're not coming from out there. They're coming from inside. This is the part of the movie where like the, the person's on the phone with the police and saying, hey, I got some threatening call. They said, the call's coming from within the house. Right? It's church, be careful because it's actually you who's a threat to you. And so right now in our, in our world, we can point to all these things that are evil and destructive. That's a wolf, that's a wolf, that's a wolf, that's a wolf. The most dangerous wolf is the one that doesn't look like a wolf, right? That wolf in sheep's clothing. And he says, like, these wolves, he describes them. They're going to have a few things. I mean, this is terrifying. This should, be, this should be scared. This is a warning. 
that a wolf is going to have your trust. You're not going to recognize it. You're actually going to think it's a trusted friend. It's coming from here. And they're going to twist things, which means it's going to look good and it's going to look good and genuine, but it's going to become just a little off. And that little off when carried to its conclusion suddenly leads you far from God and it's going to draw people away. That's a wolf. Oh, but just a little twist and drawn away. That doesn't sound like a wolf. It's like, yeah, but it's going to devour you. I am convinced that the wolves in sheep's clothing are the biggest danger to the church. And right now, we have one of the most divided, divisive times on our hands. Not out there, although it's certainly divisive out there. It's divided inside of the church. It's divided amongst the kingdom of God where what's happening is a lot of people. Here's what it looks like. We let our guard down when we hear something is described as Christian, right? This is Christian music. This is a Christian school. This is a Christian, whatever it is, radio station. And so we suddenly let our guards down and we just filter and bring things in. But the reality is there's no such thing as Christian. The only thing that's Christian is Christ. And so if we try to add anything all of a sudden, we, we twist a little bit. And so what's happening right now is we have people who are saying, love Jesus and fill in the blank. To be a true believer, you're going to vote a certain way. To be a true believer, this is one that's been attacking pastors, you're going to lead your church to do a certain way because that's what it really means to be a pastor and to guard your flock right now. Now, what's terrifying about this is it sounds reasonable. In fact, you might even agree of like, you know, that it's probably right. But the fact that we add anything to Jesus, the fact that we twist anything from the gospel, it looks like a sheep. Maybe it's even a shepherd, but it could actually end up being a divisive wolf. And we look at the divisions in the church and we can say, yes, something is dividing. We know Satan is set against us, but he tends to not to speak from on high, he tends to speak through people. He tends to influence us. And so historically thinking through this, the church, we have missed the mark at times. We've added things to the gospel that we were convinced was Christian, but we missed it. And my fear is right now, we might be doing that same thing, but we're so convinced it's Christian, it seems reasonable to add it. Let me give you two examples that are no, no one can argue with. That there was a time where the church opposed women's right to vote because there's verses talking about, well, with complementarian, we have the man outside the home, the woman inside the house, uh, her place is in the house, and so therefore her husband's the one who represents her voting. And so the church opposed women's suffrage. And they said, that's what Christians and that's what your faith says you should do. Yeah, our faith doesn't say that. Later on, this is funny, that the church opposed um, pain medication for women in child labor because, well, child pangs are part of the curse. And so therefore, uh, we shouldn't be trying to go against the work of God. And so a woman shouldn't have an epidural or have a Tylenol. Or, uh, that has nothing to do with the gospel. 
And what can happen is we start to wed these things together and all it's going to do is create division because we're not saying Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. And let me tell you about Jesus and we model Jesus for you and we give you example of Christ in our midst and let's worship him. We say, let's worship him. And then let's talk about this. And it twists and it divides people away. And Paul says, that's a wolf. And they're gonna come from within. What's so dangerous about this is the second we stop talking about Jesus and talking about anything else, you're compromised and the world around us loses Jesus. They only see the add-on that we've presented to them, not Jesus. And so think about this. Paul, when he starts to talk about the future, the first thing he addresses is their end those closest relationships. He says, look in the mirror at yourself and then also look at your, these, your Christian community. The enemy is not at the gates. He's in the gates. Be alert. Take careful attention. But next, while he talks about their end, he's going to talk about that up. He's going to say, the problem isn't for you to suddenly keep looking in the mirror. What we need to do is look at God. Verse 31 be, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's a breath of oxygen. That even though all these things might be wrong, he says, therefore, guess what? I'm going to remind you, I'm commending you to God. And he has his word. God's word, it's a word, not of works, not of fear, but of grace. It's God's word that reminds us who we are and that we receive grace, that we are loved by God. That I don't have to keep getting it right. I have to just look to God and get, receive his grace Maybe I can start to become a little more humble again. And he says, that is the thing that's going to build you up. Think of this world right now. Everything is seeking to tear you down. If you spend too much time on your phone, on social media, in front of a computer screen, everything is going to tear down right now. It is only God's word that can build us up. That's it. And so and he says, it's going to point you to your inheritance among those who are sanctified, right? God's word's gonna remind you, guess what? This world is not your reward. You have an inheritance, but it comes later. At your true home in heaven, your citizenship there. So you're gonna inherit something, and guess what? His grace is gonna be upon you because you're sanctified. You're set apart. You're here for a reason. You have a mission. You're reserved by God to do his work. Live like it. Remember you, remember the inheritance. Remember your purpose. Remember God. I think right now we need to probably dig deep into God's word more than ever. Once again, it feels like so much of this world is wilting, right? There's California, the wildfires, the entire coast, right? Oregon and Washington. Everything is on fire because it's dry. We need to make sure we're not too dry. And are we soaking and saturating ourselves in God's word? 
as we spend too much time listening to talk radio or watching news or listening to too many podcasts or on social media feeds and looking at people and posting, it dries us out. What would happen if you made a rule in your own life that for every minute I did any of those things, I had to spend in God's word? So either I have to (laughs) read the Bible three hours a day so I can do what I normally do, or I need to reduce those things down to actually be comparable for this. We're, we have a world that's wanting to know truth, and here we are sitting with printed copies of an infallible word of God full of nothing but truth. Paul says the, the problem here is that we have to look here. Then he finally concludes this. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that in these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in the, all the things I shown you, and here's his word to them, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He reminds them of their why. We aren't here on vacation to sip coffee and to enjoy ourselves. We need to continue to push into the city of Ephesus. We need to push into the city of Thousand Oaks, of Newberry Park, of Westlake, of Moore Park. This is why God has us here, is that we must continue. Do not forget to love your neighbors. Do not forget to invite people, places, to share life, to open up your heart. Find doors where someone welcomes you in. And make that a priority for you. Verse 36. And when he said all these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him. But they're being most sorrowful, most of all, because the word he had spoken, that they might not, that he would not see his face again. This week, this is the part that hit me the most. It actually has nothing to do with the triangle and all the up, in, and out. That this is not a retirement party at work. That this is not Paul saying, hey guys, I'm shipping off. Here's some sheet cake. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to be gone. And everyone's like, okay, bye, Paul. And then I guess someone else is moving in the corner office. That is not what's happening here. What's happening here is that Paul has such warmth, such love for his people that he's connected them, he's praying with them, and they are weeping because he is family. This, I think, is the picture of what the church is supposed to be. That when Paul launched this place, he's not just saying, I'm going to tell you about God. I'm not just going to say, come join me in mission. It's we love each other. And there is a togetherness, a genuine spiritual family that happens here. I think right now our church and just the church at large is being tested unlike ever before. Now, Journey, we've shared this definition with you, right? The church is the people of God on the mission of God, filled with the spirit of God under the leadership of Jesus. But I think we could have all those things, but still not have the warmth and the love of a family. Journey... What I love is as I thought about this is this is the church that we've become. This is the church we strove to be as we launched. 
that we want to be a place that is not just where you attend church and, oh, now I go somewhere else now. It's that, no, we are family. And here Paul is saying when he moves, he weeps. Not because, oh, I guess I'm being relocated. Yeah, we had a lateral move in the corporation. Like, no, no, no. A family member is moving out and we celebrate with them, but man, I feel their loss. The question is, who is the spiritual family you're living on mission with? I think as a church, I think we do this one well, but that doesn't mean there's not areas for us to grow. Right, right now, as we are watching online sermons and we're doing this all thing remote, um, it's a strange time. It's easy for us to be disconnected. The second we take our foot off the gas pedal of connection, the second we look at a, a Zoom call journey group, we're like, ugh, I just can't do it. And eventually we start to just, it starts to drift. We're called to be a family. In fact, we are a family. We are unified. We fight to maintain that. And I love this picture here of Paul and these final words just pouring out his heart, looking, sharing with them, this is the gospel I've given you. You've seen how I live with mission. I've given this to you. I'm continuing with my mission. You've seen the community I have, how we are a family. But as we conclude this sermon, I don't know what the Lord has for you in this. Usually I like to have a very clear, concise point, right? Instead of shooting a shotgun, which has this big wide blast, I like to shoot a very, you know, a, a bullet. But this is one where there's so many things in this text. I don't know what the Lord wants to bring out. And I want you to ask yourself, God, what do you have in this for me? As maybe you maybe consider this for the first time. Maybe the first time you've ever heard of this. Maybe you need to look at the end, right? Thinking of how, what have I seen in the trials of right, these last few months? Is it humility? Is it a heart? What's going on, right? Am I engaging and pursuing the Christian community? Or maybe I'm becoming a wolf. I need to be careful and look in the mirror. Or maybe the Lord's showing you something about this up dimension, right? Where you just got to recognize, I need to stop looking at everything else and I need to fix my eyes on the grace, that word of God. I need to spend time in God's word. I need to grab hold of the gospel and use it in my life. Not just something I believe, but something I live and I live as in light of. Or maybe it's the reality for many of us that in this changed time, the reality is the mission, the way I've loved my neighbor, the way I've loved coworkers, it's kind of evaporated. And I need to, I need to recognize I have a purpose here. Where can I give, right? It's better to give than receive. And Paul's saying, we must remember the poor. So I don't know what, the, what that is for you. I know what it is for me today. My likelihood on Sunday when I'm, is going to be something different. But I want us to be open to the Spirit, not just to learn something new today. That's not the point of these sermons. That's not the point of church. It's that we would open up ourselves up to the Lord. We would open ourselves up to other. And we'd realize, and let's go. Let's be different people out there in the world. Let's be a spiritual family on mission. So let me pray for us. Jesus, I love you. I'm so thankful, God, 
that you give us grace upon grace upon grace. That we are more loved than we realize. And even right now, maybe we're feeling conviction or maybe we're feeling an insight we never quite recognized before. God, I pray that you would give us the grace that we could recognize I've done wrong in this area or I am lacking in this area. And we don't fear condemnation, Lord. We recognize you're inviting us to live a more full life, to live with even that much more love from you in our life. So God, I pray that we would not um, quickly forget what it is you want to do here right now. God, that we can make tangible steps towards you, maybe towards each other, maybe it's towards our neighbor. God, we love you and we thank you for what you are doing in us. Lord, even the things that are difficult, we can look at the many things you are doing in our own life, in our church's life, but also in this world. Amen. If you want more information about this teaching or another teaching, visit us online at journeyto.org. Come see us at our Sunday service, 10 a.m. at the Boys and Girls Club of America, Marion and John E. Anderson Youth Center, located at 1980 East Avenida de Las Flores in Thousand Oaks, California.